0: this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting System, I'm Don Mills.
1: And I'm David Campbell.
0: What a great conversation we had with Bernard Lord. Like, uh, really informative, interesting, uh, full of good ideas, uh, you know, uh, lots of innovation in the, in the things that we talked about, David.
1: Yeah. And he's the CEO of Medavi, a, a large uh, Blue Cross uh, health insurance company, but also a health service provider such as Ambulance New Brunswick and Nova Scotia PI as well. And yeah, I mean, you you can tell he's not phoning it in. He's serious about building a great company, uh, an innovative company and doing very cool things in our region and across the country. And we're talking about a company. Don, that uh, probably, that certainly the largest head office in Moncton, one of the largest head offices, if not the largest head office in all of the Maritimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, they have uh, 8,500 employees. Most of them are actually in this region. So obviously a big uh, employer. And, you know, uh, here's the thing that I I think I want our listeners to understand. This is an example of a company, a private company, uh, providing, public services that are paid for by the public uh, purse and 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 you know there are now in six or seven provinces providing uh, emergency medical services through ambulances and other other services and you know honestly this is one of the solutions to our healthcare issue and, and, and he, he provides the reason why it is one of the solutions, because he talked about a lot of innovations uh, that a private sector company can bring to the table. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, he gave us a number of really interesting examples. One of them was uh, to have uh, the paramedics be able to treat people on site instead of bringing them to the hospital if they can and are able to do that. That would save the system a ton of time and cost. And that's an innovation that is brought to the uh, to the government by a company like Blue, Blue Cross.
1: Yeah, we wanted to talk to him about his his economic impact, but he wanted to talk about innovation in healthcare. So, Don, I think that was a, a real value added to this conversation. I think people really appreciate it. But I, I pick up on what you say. They have four million, three close to four million customers. With the Blue Cross, with the benefit service, and then they have another three million with the healthcare services. So you're talking about a company that has a ton of capacity to innovate, to develop new new uh, new services, to be able to test things in local markets and then roll it out in other areas. And he, as he says, absolutely within the framework of a publicly deliver a public healthcare system, publicly paid healthcare system it's just that you have you if you have these private companies that do really innovative and cool things and he had an interesting saying if if we don't meet our targets you know cut our money if we do if we exceed our targets give us more money and if you don't like us fire us yeah and that's yeah. really really hard to do it's really really hard to do if in a in a in a 100 tr- publicly uh, uh delivered healthcare system yeah. And, you
0: know, we had a really also very interesting conversation about pharmacare, which is uh, on the agenda nationally. And, you know, everybody thinks of pharmacare as being uh, delivered uh, as a single platform across the country. He actually think that's a that's a really bad idea. And he gave some good reasons for it. You know, uh, he, he said there are already companies uh, providing those benefits to other Canadians uh, that are either paid for by, their employers or privately, and they could easily take on the rest who are, are uh, that need coverage that could be paid by the public sector without creating yet another level of bureaucracy in this country that we don't need. And I hadn't thought about that until he mentioned that. I thought it was a great, um, you know, sort of option that could be considered to make sure that everybody gets covered for their drugs in Canada.
1: We talked a lot about his his workforce. He's got eighty five hundred staff, as you said they are facing the same crunch that other employers are facing only on a larger scale for them they have 300 open positions now and are doing a ton to be flexible they're they're leading the way in terms of remote work but also not just that also allowing people to be more flexible but when they work and whether or not they work part-time versus full-time and trying to be find innovative ways to keep older workers in the workforce longer and I thought it was very interesting. They, he said they're attracting 43 Australians in the paramedic field. Uh, so they went down to Australia and raided uh, some talent from there. And so we'll have to start talking about good day mate and and, and uh, being able to, to welcome our Australian partners here, here in the region. But uh, yeah, lots of discussion about the workforce that I think people will appreciate.
0: Uh, again, this is just a podcast loaded with uh, really interesting uh, topics and ideas. They talked about the health span as a way of looking at um, the number of years that people live healthy, active lives rather than their lifespan, which is a different way of thinking about uh, helping people. Uh, you know, it just shows a company that's very progressive and innovative in their thinking. Um, it's just filled with great, uh, great ideas. So um, it's a long conversation, but it's worth listening to. Here's our conversation with Bernard Lord. We are pleased to be joined on the Insights podcast by Bernard Lord, the former Premier of the province of New Brunswick and the current CEO of Mediviv. Mediviv is a health solutions partner that includes both Blue Cross and Mediviv Health Services. Welcome to our podcast, Bernard.
1: Oh, well,
2: happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: So you've had a very interesting and varied career. You began your career as a lawyer and then of course you moved on to become premier of New Brunswick. That uh, surprises me now but that's been almost 20 years. 17 <laughs> years since you uh, since you left your left that mm. office. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a of, of your personal career path and how you ended up as a CEO of MetaV?
2: Yeah, sure, Dave. Thanks for for that. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to say I used to be a, a used car salesman, a criminal lawyer and a politician. So if you can't trust me, who can you trust? Um, <laughs> and and the reason for all that. So you you mentioned I started out as a lawyer. When I was going to law school, I actually sold cars. I sold cars in in for Acadia Toyota in Moncton. Sam Gervin was the owner back then. Still the owner today he was a great business guy, and he supported me uh, through my journey in, in law school. And I would work there uh, mostly in the summers and a bit in the winter, uh, selling cars. But I. I started working when I was nine years old, uh, delivering newspapers and then selling ice cream and working as a summertime economist for the government of Canada and eventually became a lawyer. From that, um, I decided to get involved in public life because I wanted to change the world or at least have an impact in making things better in in my own province, in my own community. And luckily, when I left public life, uh, there was all sorts of opportunities open uh, for me. And I joined the board of meta and shortly after I left the uh, public life, I was on, on the board since 2008. Uh, I also served on other boards and other organizations. And as well, uh, I was the, the head of the Canadian Wireless uh, Telecommunication Association for about uh, seven years. And in 2016... Um, the the former CEO of Medivy stepped down and the board uh, opened up the position. I decided this would be a great opportunity to have an impact in areas that I care deeply about. So this for me is a perfect combination. There's a a lot of public policy discussions when you're involved in Medivy because we we do a lot of things in healthcare. I care deeply about healthcare. I think it's one of the great challenges of this generation that we need to, to solve. And the fact that this is a company with a headquarter in Atlantic Canada um, also attracted me because it's a way for us to have a deep economic impact in Atlantic Canada, in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island specifically. Um, so all those things, I thought this could be the you know, really good, interesting challenge uh, for me. And um, so since 2016, I've been leading MetaV and, and developing strategies, working with a very strong team to, to build the organization.
1: And we want to get into that uh, as, as, as the main part of our interview today, and if we had time, we would love to get your observations on the c- current political environment and what has changed today versus when you were in office, but we would like just for our listeners to get a sense of, in your time in office, what are the sort of top things that you're most proud of or accomplishments in terms of the, on the policy front while you were Premier of the province?
2: Well, there's, there's a lot of things, and, and some are small and some are big, and I'm, I, I can't list them all, but let me highlight a, a couple big ones. Big ones include balancing the budget every single year was uh, was important to me. Uh, you know, I, I have degrees in economics and, and law, and uh, as an economist, I felt it was important to have a government that would live within it, its means, but also at the same time maintaining a balanced approach of social progress and economic success. And the level of jobs that were created in the time that I was premier among, you know, still the best in, in, in New Brunswick's history. So I feel good about that. Um, The new official languages act, which is now the current official languages act that we brought in in 2022 is, is a highlight because based on my background, my, my father grew up in in McAdam, uh, New Brunswick as an anglophone. My mom is a francophone and. That's always been part of my own identity as being not only bilingual, but bicultural and being able to bring a bill that would bring communities closer together and, and help New Brunswickers focus not on their differences, but focus on what brings us together was really important to me. Those are big things. And of course, some of the investments and changes we brought to healthcare were really important. The same with the, the quality learning agenda uh, in education. That really improved the reading scores and the uh, the test scores of students in New Brunswick. That was extremely important to me uh, for several reasons. I've always believed that education is is probably the best investment we can make in ourselves and collectively best investment we can make in in the next generation. So those are big things. Some of the small things that you know may may not have had a that same wide ranging impact, but. It, wide-reaching impact is, is for instance, the New Brunswick Adoption Foundation. So early on, one of my ministers came up to me and told me we there were about five hundred young children in New Brunswick that were waiting for adoption, and um, on a good year there would be about twenty to twenty-five adoptions. And so we came up with a solution, and Percy Mockler, who's now Senator Mockler, came up with with an idea to to put in place a foundation. So we created the New Brunswick Adoption Foundation. And adoption rates for New Brunswick children waiting for adoption went up by 400% in the span of a year and a half. And, and the foundation still exists uh, today. Uh, I continue to support it personally. Medivy also supports this foundation. And it's, it's there to help children connect with and get a family. And it's helping families get children. And when you look at it on, on a micro level, is there anything more important than that, than creating families? So to me, that was something that is not a big public policy and you won't read about it in the history books, but I felt it had a deep impact for hundreds and thousands of young New Brunswickers and families. Uh, so I feel really good about that.
0: Bernard, you mentioned that
2: you were the CEO of the Canadian Wireless
0: Association prior to joining MetaV. That's an organization that uh, is not that well known. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit of, about the work of that organization, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, was, uh, I was surprised when they reached out to me. This was back in 2008. Uh, they reached out to me uh, to see if I would be interested in leading this organization. And after a little bit of back and forth, I thought it'd be a great opportunity because wireless at the time, you go back to 2008, it wasn't yet the technology that we have today, but I believe that it would become that ubiquitous technology that would be in everybody's pockets and and everybody would want to have a a mobile device communicate with it. And in fact, you look at the growth in that sector, it's really phenomenal in, 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 in the last two decades. So that's what attracted me. So this organization brings together the large providers of wireless technology uh, in Canada, companies like uh, Eastlink in in, in Atlantic Canada, of course Rogers, Bell, TELUS, CocheCo in Quebec and and, and Ontario, Uh, you have uh, Manitoba, uh, MTS before they they got gobbled up by, by Bell and so on. And the idea was to create an environment where they can work together on certain files. But of course, most days they compete. But it it's having an environment that is uh, conducive to investments in wireless wireless, and growth in wireless and the impact of, you know, the Internet of Things, all those, how is that connected and how that could contribute to economic growth and the well-being of, of Canadians. So I really love my time there. We, we put in place some programs, uh, recycle my cell, we put in place... Uh, Programs uh, we we had a fountain, we we supported initiatives to help kid lines and, and so on. Um, we put in place an, an infrastructure group to to help build towers to improve connectivity across communities. So it was a really really uh, I I really found it fascinating to work there for closest well over seven years. And I was when I left to join Menavi as the CEO, I was replaced by another very capable Atlantic Canadian. That's Robert Gibbs. Uh, Robert Giz is now heading that organization and he's brought it to uh, to another level and it's now more focused on internet overall and data, which is the normal evolution. And I think Robert's doing an outstanding job with that organization.
0: Now, uh, you know, Medivy is probably not a, a name that a lot of people in the public know much about. They certainly know... Blue Cross. Can you just tell us a little bit about the structure of I I know you have, is it two divisions, two companies? What is it?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question. In fact, it's it's probably misunderstood more than anything else. So we exist as an organization. This is our 80th anniversary. We didn't have the name medi 80 years ago, but the origins of the company started 80 years ago. And at first it was a prepaid medical plan. So people that and you have to go back 80 years ago in, in the forties, there was no Canadian medical act. There was no Medicare per se. So people were looking for ways to prepay and protect themselves for, from unexpected uh, healthcare costs and hospital costs. So a group got together and they created uh, this organization. And shortly after it became a blue cross. And I'll talk briefly about the whole blue cross in, in, in a second. And from this Blue Cross, it, it grew. It, we started in Nova Scotia. We are still today a Nova Scotia regulated company, mm. um, and but the the biggest office now is in Moncton. But we have large office and large presence uh, in 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 Halifax and Dartmouth, and we have large presence in Moncton. We have significant presence in in Charlottetown. We have some offices in in St. John's, Newfoundland, as well as Toronto, Montreal, and other operations in Western provinces. So from from that idea, 80 years ago we grew, and now we have several companies. And the two large operations, you have Medivy Blue Cross, which is health benefits, uh, um, disability coverage, life insurance, we also own Blue Cross Life, so we are the largest shareholder of that company with the other Blue Cross plans. I'll come back, I said I'll come back on Blue Cross, because. A lot of people don't understand what Blue Cross is, but we, so we are the largest provider uh, in Atlantic Canada of of health coverage uh, through uh, Blue Cross. And we also have Medivy Health Services, which is the other, the second large branch and Medivy Health Services provides uh, emergency medical services. So we completely manage the ambulance system in the province of New Brunswick, the province of Nova Scotia, the province of Prince Edward Island. But we also have large operations in Saskatchewan. We are the largest provider of ambulance services in Saskatchewan. We're the second largest provider of ambulance services in in Alberta. And we have a growing presence uh, in Ontario. In fact, just today, I found out that we have uh, gained another contract in the province of Ontario. It hasn't been fully announced. I won't tell you the region, but it's another region that we're adding. And we're also completing the purchase of another uh, ambulance operation in Saskatchewan, which will be announced uh, by the end of the year. And we're looking at other operations that we want to acquire in, in Western Canada. So we're growing this Medevy Health Services. And beyond ambulance services, we've added other services to Medivy Health, health Services. That includes, uh, for instance, we manage the extramural program uh, in New Brunswick, which is direct medical care in the home. But we also have some mental health uh, programs that we administer in the province of uh, Prince Edward Island. We, we have one in the province of Manitoba to help uh, 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 Aboriginal and native communities in, in that province. So we are expanding the services that we deliver and we're bringing innovation to those services. But there's other things that we do as well beyond those two large blocks. So we also have our own paramedic school And so we train paramedics, Uh, we train them in two provinces, in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We train them in both official languages, in in English and in French. And we don't only train them for for our own operations. People can get our training and work for somebody else, Uh, but we also train them for the armed forces. So we have the contract to train paramedics for the, uh, the federal armed forces in Canada, and we do that in both official languages. We, we also um, we manage Medicare payments for the province of Nova Scotia. We've, this organization has done this for close to 50 years now. We, um, and we manage large federal benefit programs as well. Um, not the ones that have been in the news in, in recent years because ours work really well so we don't tend to make the news. Um, so we've, we manage benefits for uh, veterans. We manage benefits for uh, refugees immigrants that come to Canada that are entitled to certain benefits. We manage that on behalf of the federal government and we pay the claims and pay the benefits for those uh, individuals. So it's a, it's a broad organization that after 80 years has grown to close to between 8,500 to 9,000 employees across the country. And we have services that we provide directly to individuals. So those that want blue cross coverage for themselves as well as groups. So a lot of employers work with us to provide benefits to their employees and we manage government programs. So it's it's a very diverse organization. But there is one thing I must add, is that we are at the top a non-for-profit organization. So we, we're not owned by individual shareholders. There's nobody that receives a dividend from, from Medivy at, at the end of the year. And what we do with the, uh, the, the surplus, if you will, is we invest in our employees, we invest in our systems, we build reserves, because as an insurance company, we, we have to be around for decades, if not centuries. And we also, we of course, we pay taxes. And we uh, we have a foundation, it's called the Medivy Foundation. And the Medivy Foundation mostly supports three types of causes. It supports uh, post-traumatic stress. So the individuals and families uh, that need to deal with post-traumatic stress, so we, we support them. We uh, support uh, youth mental health to help uh, young people with mental health uh, issues. And uh, that's mostly from the ages of 14 to 25, 26. And we we love to support active living, which is the biggest cause that we support. And that includes um, helping people with food insecurity and also community spaces for uh, being active. Just to give you an example, uh, earlier this year we announced $500,000 to support the YMCAs in Nova Scotia, to help people that could not buy the membership. So we buy the membership for them. And it gives access to the YMCAs for people to be more active, physically active, and and provide spaces where they can be socially active, which helps their mental health. And one thing I learned from speaking to the different organizations, different YMCAs in, in, um, in Nova Scotia, is there were some people that were taking this membership to have a place so they can actually just take a shower. And when you think of how you can improve the well-being of individuals, for us the initial thought is how do we help people be more active and socially connected? But when you learn that people need these spaces just to be able to take a shower it makes you realize, okay, this is having a big impact for those individuals. And for us, this is extremely, extremely important to have that impact at the community level as much as we can. Uh, Bernard, just a
0: little supplementary on this. Uh, you know, um, a great outline of the of the services that you do. Uh, one of the things that you do is you you provide uh, privately delivered, publicly funded services. Yes, right? and, and this is a big debate right now in the healthcare system and and people i think need to understand that you've been doing this for a long time this is not new um, and uh, right it's been going on for oh, yeah. a long time and, and and it is a model frankly for dealing with some of the challenges that we have in our healthcare system do you want to make a comment about that because i think it's important for, for oh uh,
2: absolutely be, be happy to make a comment about that uh, and we've been delivering uh, services uh, some under government contracts, some directly to individuals for well for up to 80 years. And that model of uh, private funding of uh, in, in some cases it's public funding and private delivery of services. Some cases it's private funding and private delivery. But when we look at the challenges we face in healthcare, and I'm glad you brought this up, Don, because I think this is one of the great challenges we need to solve. Uh, that we need to we need to find solutions to this. We we have an aging population. Uh, in a, you know, we, we, we have a growing economy, so we're still a rich country. I believe we could be richer as a country, but that's, we could have another conversation on the economics of Canada. There's things we take for granted, but let's put that aside. We have an aging population that require more health care. And my feeling on this is, is quite simple. We shouldn't put the patients and the individuals first and not ideology. And a lot of the conversation in Canada is driven by ideology, not driven by fact, and certainly not driven by what the patients need. I'm, I'm also uh, lucky to, to chair a group called the International Federation of Health Plans. And it's an international group. We have between close to 80 to 90 different members of plans and from five different continents. And we get together you know, every year to talk about innovation and talk about how we, we do things and what works and what doesn't work. And there's, there's, there's uh, plans that come from, you know, well-known countries like France and, and the UK and Ireland and, and uh, there's Sweden and Switzerland and so on and other countries from maybe less known places. And what I've learned from this is there's things that we don't do in Canada because of ideology that's preventing us from providing better care to patients. And really, we, we can't afford to uh, stay stuck in the 1960s, 70s ideology with the challenge that we face. We need to open the doors and allow more organizations that want to participate and be part of the solution to provide the care that people need. And this is, and I want to be clear about something. When you start talking about this, people say, oh, you want an American style healthcare? No, I don't. <laughs> and there's no one in Canada that I know that seriously says, let's copy What's happening in the U.S.? There's a group called the, um, the Commonwealth Group, and every year they come out with an assessment of health plans from eleven different countries. They take eleven advanced uh, economies, you know, mostly Western economies, and and they compare healthcare delivery, results, outcomes, and cost. And out of those eleven, the U.S. is one of the eleven countries they measure. They the, the Americans always end up number eleventh. So I don't want to emulate them. But where is Canada on this ranking? We usually end up being number 10. So we're 10th out of 11th. So sure, if you take a map of the world and you limit to only two countries, Canada and the U.S., then you say, we don't want the U.S. Agreed. But we could take what is true to Canada with the values that we have in Canada and incorporate some of the... The, the, the innovation that has taken place in countries that share similar values that we share, that they want access for everyone, they want quality, they want to make sure it's affordable, and realize that there are things that we could do in Canada that would be different, that would be less centralized in the hands of government that would provide better results for patients um, and their families. And you see that in these other uh, nine countries that are ranked ahead of us. So we have to open our minds and we'll see that there are solutions out there to deal with some of the challenges that we face. And I also feel strongly that one thing that we need to do is to bring innovation to healthcare. There's a lot of innovation in healthcare now when you think of the technology, the diagnostic equipment, and so on. But we also need to innovate in the way that we think, and we need to innovate in terms of policy. That type of innovation is required to, to meet this challenge that we're facing.
1: But aren't, aren't you a little bit of a wrinkle? Because I think that one of the big concerns is for profit healthcare, but you're not actually for profit healthcare. You told Correct. us earlier you were not for profit. So I guess the question for you, and we're a little bit off topic, I apologize. That's okay. But the question for you is what, like private companies tend to be more innovation focused because there's a profit motive and they tend to be able to raise capital, more risk capital, because they, there's a profit motive. What what is in it for a not-for-profit company to be innovative? Why, why don't you just sit back and run your business and enjoy your, uh, your, the, the big chair?
2: Yeah, th- well, that's, uh, that's a very good question, uh, David, is, is because, first of all, it's not my nature to sit back. So start with that. My nature is to tackle challenges, and I usually like to tackle the bigger the challenge, the more fun we have. And if we can contribute to making things better for others, that's what we want to do. And that's our mission. So when I came in, we, we set a clear mission that our mission at Medivy is to improve the well-being of Canadians. And because of our structure, our corporate structure, um, it allows us to do things that other private companies won't do because the margins aren't good enough. So there's certain programs we administer. like The margins are so thin. In some cases, there's no margin. We, we do it because we can and we're good at it. But the margins are thin. Other places, the margins are a little bit better, but they're not big enough for other private companies or publicly traded companies to decide that they wanna take this because they need better margins to satisfy their shareholders. We don't have that concern. The other thing is we can do things where governments can't. We have in our DNA and the way we approach problems, we want to innovate. And we're at times we'll take some risks and not every risk pans out. But government is a difficult environment for that. And of course, you know, my background, we talked, I'm not against government. Governments can do some things extremely well. But um, there's some things where governments are not as good as as others. So governments can set the policy, they can set the regulation, they can determine the funding at, at times for what is public. But finding the best partners to do this, that are willing to take risks and innovate. I'll give you a very clear example. There's more and more discussion in Canada of having a national universal single payer centralized government pharmacare system. I think that would be a mistake. And we 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 can have programs like we have now to help those that do not have coverage and we can fill the gaps which would be far less expensive than the 40 billion dollar program. But I look at how companies that compete in this environment of health benefits the investments that each of us have made, whether it's us at Medivy or whether it's the folks at Manulife, Life, Green Shield, you name them, they've made large investments to make sure that our product, our service, our experience for our members is as good or better than the next one. Once you bring that to the government and there's only one decider, you lose that competitive edge. And I look at how services are delivered in governments generally. You don't have the same level of service that you do from a medi or Sun Life or, or, or others. You want a claim paid by medi usually it's paid automatically. You don't have to do anything. You show up with your card, you go to the dentist, it's paid. Uh, you go to the pharmacy, your claim is paid before, before you leave the store. And that type of innovation and the investments that we make, governments are in a difficult situation. It's a different accountability model. And risk taking is not rewarded uh, in government. Usually it's the other way around. While in private companies and and, publicly traded companies we assess risk and we understand sometimes we'll take a risk that doesn't work out but overall the risks that we take do work out and we need to keep up with our competitors to be able to provide a better experience to our members.
1: So, how would you then answer that question of trying to bring sort of pharma care or or supported pharma programs to the entire country with using the private market or the existing market? How would you
2: do that? I, I think that the best approach is to work with the uh, the companies that are there now, and you can fill the gaps, which is by far a better approach, and it's done in other parts of the world. You have some provinces actually that have similar models where Quebec. Every single person is covered. Uh, they're either covered by a government plan or covered by a, uh, an employee pr- plan or a private plan if they want. But you, if you provide coverage in, in, in Quebec, you must provide drug coverage. So You can't decide to provide just dental coverage and uh, other paramedical uh, medical uh, services like uh, chiropractors or massage therapists or so on. You have to provide drugs. So there's ways to make sure that when there's a when people get the benefit, it includes drug coverage. The other thing is is how drugs are bought, and that's um, you know there's a lot of things that are misunderstood in, in Canada. So we we have some pooling done for you know, the, the truly expensive drugs and rare disease drugs. So there's pooling already in place with with the industry. So the best solution forward is to work with the companies that are in place, uh, we've all made billions of dollars of investments. There's no reason for the government to try to come in and destroy this, to try to replicate. And in a few years, the result will be the service won't be as good and you won't have as many drugs because most national universal drug plans around the world do not cover all the drugs that are covered under a Blue Cross plan or our competitors plans.
1: So I want to come back to employment. You said earlier, you've got about 8,500 employees. I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised at just how large you are. But we wanted to ask you how many of those are in Atlantic Canada and how many of them are in the head office in the Moncton area?
2: Yeah, so in the head office per se, uh, so we have about 3,000 employees. Uh, I'm rounding things out, but about 3,000 in New Brunswick and just under 2,000 in, in Nova Scotia. Again, round numbers. Um, and, you know, Probably 1,000, 1,200 are truly headquarter employees. These are IT people, finance people, um, analysts. Uh, we also have people that customer service, people that work here in, in, in Moncton. Um, the rest of our employees in New Brunswick are paramedics and nurses and health professionals that are on the ground helping people every day directly. In the same in, in Nova Scotia. So we have several hundred employees working uh, in our offices in, in Halifax, and the rest are really paramedics uh, and other health professionals working on the ground directly with, with patients. Um, now, I say working in the office. The truth is now, um, today I'm in my office here in, in Moncton. Probably 90% are not here. They're working from home. We have adopted a very flexible work arrangement for our employees where that is possible, and our employees love it. They, they love the fact that they don't uh, have to uh, come to the office. Now, the, the quid pro quo for all of this is productivity levels must be maintained. We have to provide value to our customers and our partners. And if we do, and, and you know, protect data and all the other wonderful things we do, then our employees have a choice as to where they want to work. And this so far has been uh, a boon for us. To help us uh, continue to retain talent, but also recruit new people to to the organization, which is always important. And now we're because of this flexible work arrangement, we are able to recruit people in geographies across the country where before we could not, because we would require them to show up at an office. So we've recruited people in other provinces, but even in Atlantic Canada. So we we have uh, some people in working for us now in, in Newfoundland. They never show up at the office, they work from home and they work in some of the more rural communities of Newfoundland doing really important work for us. And they love their jobs and we love the the fact that they're working for us. We've recruited some people now in in other provinces where we were less present in BC and Alberta. uh, Very specialized talent that was required and the fact that they can work from home is good for them and it works uh, for us.
1: You mentioned earlier in the pre-interview something about there's some flexibility around when they work either. Can you uh, uh, elaborate on that?
2: Yes. So we're testing some things now, and this is the the next dimension of hybrid work. So from the pandemic, there was a lot of discussion about hybrid work and hybrid work really meant where people work. So did you work from home or work from the office? Again, and this is for those that have that possibility. Thousands of our V employees don't have that option. They work in an ambulance, or they have to go treat patients where they are at home. So they don't have that option. But for those that do is where they work. But what we're realizing is there's other dimensions to hybrid work and, and work flexibility that are really important to, to us and implor- important to our employees. And that is when they work. And in some cases, as well, how much they work. And so we're exploring ways to be more flexible because. As we, you know, I talked earlier about the, the aging demographics of our population. That's also t- true for the workforce in general and certainly true for our own workforce here at MediV. And we have people that are in the late 50s, early 60s, that if the choices continue to work, you know, full time or retire, they'll retire. But if they could work part time, 24 hours a week, they would stay on. Or some would be if they could work eight months of the year full time but not work at all for four months because they want to travel. So we're testing this. Um, So that's not as advanced as our hybrid in terms of the location where you work, but we're testing this within the organization to be more flexible. And already this year, we've had several people stay on because we've provided this flexible arrangement where they didn't have to work full time. So instead of retiring, they're staying on with us. And That's a benefit to them because they stay active and it's a benefit to the economy in general because they continue to produce and it's an advantage to us because we retain all their experience, their knowledge, their expertise and we have a cohort of people that are all this, You know, we have several hundred people that are about the same age that we don't want to lose all these people at the same time uh, because if, if we do, that would be a lot of expertise that we would lose all at once. So it, I talked earlier about innovation, but innovation is not just a new IT system, which we have and we're, we're investing millions and millions of dollars every year to keep our IT systems up to speed. But it's also innovating in the way we do business. And this type of flexible arrangement is another way for us to innovate. And we're testing it. And if we realize in, in a, you know, a year or two years it's not working, then we'll stop it. But if you realize that it is working, then we'll do more of it and we'll amplify. And that's the beauty, you know, David, you were talking earlier, the advantages of a, of a company, a private sector company compared to government, you have that flexibility to try things. Sometimes we're too hard on governments when they try things and it doesn't work out as planned. There's a first there's a question and question period. Then there's a, there's a week in, in a special legislative committee. Next thing you know, there's a Royal Commission. And these types of behaviors, creates risk-averse organizations. I
0: want to just get back
2: uh, a little bit to your head
0: office uh, sort of uh, impact. Um, I know that, uh, I remember when um, Bell Alliance uh, became Bell and all the uh, decision-making was, you know, taken up uh, to Montreal and Toronto. uh, A lot of uh, companies, mine included, lost business that we previously had. And, uh, and it was a lot of business, frankly, uh, that we're doing with the telcos at that time in terms of market research. All those decisions went to Montreal. And of course, they went with suppliers who were in Montreal and the suppliers in the East lost that business. So head office, I understand the importance of head office. You have a big, you have a big footprint. Can you talk about the economic impact uh, in terms of the, the amount that your company spends on goods and services within Atlantic Canada? Do you have a number? That you can tell us about?
2: Yes, I do have a number. It'll come back to me in, in, in a second, but it is a significant impact. We uh, just the, the the payroll that we pay is um, is in in you know it's, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, we pay taxes. We we have a lot of suppliers that are local suppliers, and that is very important to us. So the our, our payroll. Um, is in Atlantic Canada is in excess of four hundred million dollars, um, mm. and just the payroll taxes, if I remember correctly, it's close to seventy-five million dollars that we pay, uh, and we pay you know, we pay corporate taxes on top. So even though we're not for profit, like, this is something that a lot of people don't realize. So even though we're not for profit, we still pay corporate taxes. It's just the way that we're structured and, and the rules, because some of our subsidiaries are are the way they've been structured, we pay taxes. And um, so, and we also spend over a hundred million uh, a year with vendors annually. Uh, so I've said a year, so that would make it annually, of course. So over a hundred million annually uh, with vendors in Atlantic Canada. And we're growing uh, a lot of our growth in recent years has been outside Atlantic Canada, both for our Blue Cross uh, insurance, health benefits, business as well as our health services business, but a lot of the growth of the employees to support that business continues to be in Atlantic Canada. So as we continue to grow in the rest of Canada, as we're planning to do, it will help grow the head office uh, here in Atlantic. And I say head office, it should be the head offices because we have several, for us, we're, you know, we're, we don't view just one location as the main location, we view Halifax. Uh, and Moncton as the main locations in Atlantic Canada. We have a large presence in Montreal and Toronto as well. But where we tend to grow our employee base the most is in Moncton and Halifax.
0: Right. Yeah, I think, uh, David,
2: we should get into the products and services side
0: uh, to, to understand a little bit more about what uh, Medavit does.
1: Yeah, you've explained a little bit to, uh, to us already, but can you tell us what markets you're in and how many Canadians are covered by a program offered by uh, Medavie Blue Cross and its subsidiaries?
2: Yeah, so, the, if under Blue Cross, it would be uh, between three to four million Canadians have some benefit managed by Blue Cross, and through Medavie Health Services, you're probably looking at uh, close to three under just under three million people are are in the catchment area, if you will, of our and it's probably actually more than three million now. Uh, of our catchment area of our um, ambulance uh, system and as well as our um, extramural programs. So we, we we touch a lot of Canadians directly. Most of Canadian most of the members, we touch them several times a year. Uh, in fact, one thing that we're developing currently within metaV is a, is a is a metric to understand not only how many members do we have, so how many people are covered by Blue Cross, but how many times a year do they have interactions with us? As well as how many times a year do people have interactions with our Medivy health services? So whether it's a uh, it's an ambulance or a visit of paramedic at home or a nurse uh, or some of the other health professionals that we have and to see how many, so not only a broad number of how many uh, Canadians that we touch, but how many times we touch each Canadian and, and we provide service to them to get a sense because our objective is to continue to have a positive impact on the well-being of Canadians and so we intend to continue to grow in Atlantic Canada in adding services and adding products uh, that help the well-being of people in Atlantic Canada but we also want to export this more in uh, Ontario Quebec where we have a Blue Cross license and West of Ontario, we, we do not sell Blue Cross uh, products because there's other Blue Cross plans that have the license for Blue Cross, but this is where we want to continue to expand our Medivy health services. And we plan to do that directly with individuals as well as uh, groups, employers, as we want to continue to in managing government programs. And the government programs we manage, we, we, we manage some for municipalities, some are for provincial governments, some are for the federal governments. And it's just another way for us to improve the overall, the broad healthcare system, not just the the sick health system, if you will, not just the hospital system, but everything that goes in helping people be healthy. And one concept I think we need to continue to build in Canada is the concept of health span. So we talk a lot about lifespan, you know, how long you will live. But the concept of health span is how many of those years are actual healthy years and active years. And I think we we're at a point that we can reach a longer health span where people can live happy, healthier lives longer. And everybody benefits from that. Of course, the, the individuals benefit from that because who, who doesn't want to live a long, happy life. Um, but also the economy in general and society in general benefit from that because you have people contributing to the economy longer, working longer, um, and doing things that are interesting longer and as well if you're healthier longer then you're less of a drain proportionally to, uh, to the healthcare system. So this concept of health span is, is one that we are working on at, at Medivh, and, and a lot of our decision of how we plan to uh, continue to grow is based on how we can increase the health span of individuals. So it's a combination of lifespan with healthy living years.
1: But what's in it for you? Again, coming back to this issue of innovation, it, 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 don't you sell uh, insurance plans that, that need drugs and other types of services? Like if everybody's healthy and doesn't need drugs, doesn't that hurt your business?
2: No, that's, that's, that's good for, for us. I mean, it just, it displaces our business and we're okay with that because our primary mission is to be there when people need us and people will still use healthcare. And one thing we know is the the demand for health products, services, uh, all sorts of prevention as well is will grow and continues to to grow. So that demand is not going down. And we talked earlier about the aging demographics. And sometimes it's the simple equation is saying, oh, there's more aging people, so they'll demand more healthcare. Yes, that's true. But each individual will demand more healthcare than in the past and that's true for several reasons it's true because there's new medications coming out every year there's new treatments i give this 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 example when i was first elected in 1999 and became premier the wait time for a pet scan in new brunswick was zero days you did not wait for a pet scan because in 1999 there were no pet scans in new brunswick and by the time i left there was you know, there were some PET scans in New Brunswick, and I don't know what the wait time was. I'll say it's probably, it was probably two or three weeks, whatever it was. So someone could say, oh, well, you made wait times worse. Um, but there was no there was no wait time for PET scan. And that's just a simple example to, to show there's new technology that people will want. And there's new products or medication or services that we cover from our health benefit plans that people will want. There's more and more people that want to take care of themselves before they need the help of others. So there's a lot of people that are taking, they're more active. They want more information about their health. They want to be able to make more decisions. And we help them with that. So I'm not concerned about the business side of, the, um, of what happens in the long term. What we really want to do in, in, at Medivi is to be there for the people that need us when they need us. And we'll always be there to work with employees to provide good health plans. We we provide more mental health support now than we ever have in the past. And that part of our claims have, have grown uh, this year. I think it's about 14% uh, so far in 2023 compared to 2022. And 2022, I think was an increase, I forget the exact number, was over 10%. So there's been a significant growth. And that's because it's not because there's more people that need help than before. It's now there's a better understanding that we should provide that help. And so this is a way for us to help people. We make mm-hmm. sure that when they make the claim, they get the support. And we also deliver some of the programs uh, uh, at times in different communities. So the, the business part of it will, uh, will adapt to the environment. I much prefer having an organization that's there helping people and sure, there's a business component to it. Absolutely. We, we have to build reserves. We are regulated. We need to keep reserves as an insurance company. And our reserves are healthy. Uh, currently, they're among the healthiest they've ever been at Medivin. Uh,
0: d- uh, just a quick follow-up on the number of uh, Atlantic Canadians uh, covered by your plans for, for Blue Cross. I understand it's one in three. Is that is that the right number?
2: It's at least one. Yeah, in Atlantic Canada, it would be at least one in three. At least one, in one three. In three, yes, yeah, one so in three. We, we are the largest provider in, in Atlantic Canada uh, of health benefits.
0: Yeah, that's impressive. And I, we, I just want yeah, and go and ahead.
2: I just want to add uh, to that, Don. Like, we're we're very grateful in, uh, of the support that we get from Atlantic Canadians. We don't take that for granted at all, and we're always looking for ways to improve the service. And we we welcome the feedback that we get from. Atlantic Canadians on the services we provide, whether it's good feedback, but it's always good feedback, whether they like what they're getting or if they would like us to do things differently.
0: Well, you'd be very glad to know that I just signed up for your benefits program starting next year.
2: Well, that's good. <laughs> if you have an issue with it, let me know. I will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I want to just uh, get back to your uh, emergency uh, ambulance service. Uh, you already told us that you're in... Um, all Atlantic uh, provinces and uh, other other Saskatchewan and Alberta, I think you said uh, yep, as well, and well. Ontario. So you, this is a big growing business. How many uh, paramedics and other healthcare professionals are currently employed or, or managed by your company within the region? I want to focus on the region.
2: So in, in Atlantic Canada, it would be just over 3,000 in Atlantic Canada. And we probably have about Fifty-five uh, hundred or so, or five thousand, over five thousand across the country. So the the biggest contingent is in New Brunswick, where we have uh, uh, Ambulance New Brunswick and the extramural program in um, right. in Nova Scotia. We we manage uh, uh, the whole EMC EHS service in, in Nova Scotia, right. and we have right. Island EMS um, in Prince Edward Island. Um, right. So, but our, our growth in terms of numbers of new people, because we've had these three services for quite some time in the three provinces has been mostly in Ontario and Saskatchewan and Alberta. And we, uh, we are making acquisitions of smaller operations to bring them in within the Medivy operation to be able to provide better services for those regions in Western Canada. In what we do in Atlantic Canada, our objective is to enhance the services that we have. And one of our big challenges is uh, recruitment. Um, so aging paramedics uh, and the call volumes are going up significantly. So call volumes in in, in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick have gone up significantly, probably about 25% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so we uh, we need to continue to retain the paramedics we have. We need to recruit more. And we also need to train we've, we've just come back. So we we had a team. I wasn't part of the team that went, but we had a team of people that went to Australia to recruit paramedics and we were able to sign on the spot, uh, 43 contracts of Australian paramedics that will come to Canada. And we are working right now on over 60 other contracts that we hope to sign before the end of the year. Um, and we'd love to bring about 40 of, of those uh, over 100 to this region, uh, to Atlantic Canada. And that would be a boost to our, our staffing levels. The other thing that we're doing to address this growing volume is we're working with our government partners to change how we, we, uh, we work with patients. So uh, we've put in place a program in two of our three provinces where paramedics can treat patients on the spot rather than transporting them to the hospital. And I'm talking about for minor situations, uh, sometimes if it's a bad cut or that they don't need to go to the hospital, the paramedic can treat the patient on the spot. This is good for the patient because the patient gets immediate uh, care and service where they are. This is great for the system because we don't have to bring someone to the emergency for them to wait to see a nurse or or a doctor at, at the emergency. And it's also really good for the paramedics because the paramedics, they much prefer helping people directly the best way, the fastest way possible, than simply transporting them. And in some cases, waiting hours at the hospital before the hospital can take them in. So this new um, innovative measure has been very helpful. The other thing we've done, instead of having two paramedics for all ambulances, in some cases, we have one paramedic and one assistant. So the level of training is not as high, but it's not required because they mostly do patient transfers from one hospital to the next. And it's not emergency care where having two uh, fully trained paramedics is really, really helpful. So this type of innovation is helping us uh, deploy the human resources and the talent that we have in a way that we can support the increased volume of calls. Uh,
0: Just another question on this. I'm curious, how many... How many ambulances would you have in the Maritimes? You must have a big fleet, right?
2: We do have a, a, a big fleet. Um, just give me a second, and the numbers will come back to me in a second. So we have um, – in, in New Brunswick, it's over 130 uh, ambulances. In Nova Scotia, it's over 150 ambulances. And in Prince Edward Island, um, it would be f- probably around – 30 to 35 uh, units that we have. And, and we have about 35 units in, in Prince Edward Island. And, mm-hmm. and we also have different types of units. So we also, we, we've brought in rapid response units in some of our operations. So we have the full-blown ambulance with the two paramedics and the stretcher and everything in the back. And then we have these smaller units with one paramedic. And then we call them the rapid response units. And for certain calls, they will get there first. And often they can treat the the patient, they can help the patient. Uh, They may not be able to transport the patient, but they can provide the immediate emergency care that is required. Um, And so we're working with our government partners because we've done a few pilots to show that this is an effective way to deploy resources. It's less expensive. It reduces the response time, so it's better, we we can get there faster. Um, And the patients love it because they don't have to wait as long. So we'd love to expand this to other parts of, of the region. That's the advantage of uh, of Medivy, the fact that we have operations uh, in in ambulance operations currently in seven provinces. Is we try things and we do things, and sometimes one client will say, "Try something," and or we'll come up with an idea, and we have one one of our partners will say, "Okay, try it here. We can test it if it works, and we can turn to our other." partners and say, would you like us to bring this to Nova Scotia? Would you like us to bring this to New Brunswick? And it's a it's a good way where not everyone has to try everything. We can do, we can innovate, and we can find the best solutions that work in a remote area, those that work better in the rural areas, or those that work really well in the urban areas. Because we have, we cover all those areas. You take, you know, there's places in New Brunswick that are remote, there's places in Saskatchewan, I can tell you, that are remote in, in Alberta. And The type of services that are required are very different than when you're in downtown Halifax or downtown Moncton or downtown Toronto.
1: So I think you've basically answered my next two questions, but I just wanted to pick up on that idea of being able to offer the healthcare service or deliver it in by the paramedics. Is that getting uptake from governments? Are they open to that concept of them providing at least some of those services? Yes, they are. You know, into the home?
2: Yeah, absolutely, they they realize, and now we can we can show the real benefits, and the time that it saves, it, the time it saves for the patient, for the paramedic, the money it saves for the system. It doesn't clog up the emergency departments, and this is done in a very safe way. Look, I want to make sure the listeners understand. Somebody has a heart attack; they're going to the hospital right away, and they'll be the first in line, and they cut through everybody, and they get the best care immediately. But if you um, you know. If you've just, you, you, you broke your arm or something, um, I, don't, I don't want to use a bad example, but it, things that are not as urgent. A lot of our calls are not full-blown emergencies. It's people are not sure where to get the care, and they call 911, the ambulance shows up, and our paramedics are trained to assess what needs to happen. And they can determine that they can take care of that patient on the spot rather than transporting the patient in a safe way. If it's better to transport the patient, of course they will transport the patient. If the patient insists to be transported, they will be transported. So, but most patients, if you tell them, look, we can treat you right here, patients prefer that than going to the hospital. The other thing that we are working in, and we have that in, in New Brunswick, is we're working to incorporate our, uh, the extramural program with the emergency 911 service and we're also trying to bring in the 811 service, so we can detect certain patient calls. Maybe they need an ambulance. Maybe they just need to see a health professional, and it does. We can book the appointment immediately for them. We also manage in New Brunswick now the, um, the New Brunswick Health Link uh, for patients that don't have access to a family physician. And in less than one year, we brought the number of people without a family physician. By, down by half. It was close to 70, 75,000. Last year, we're down to 35,000. And we are within the, the the doctors and the nurse practitioners and the other health professionals, we're taking care of 25,000 New Brunswickers that are not attached to a, a, um, a family physician. And we know that with the fact that there's aging family physicians that want to retire, and they tend to have the largest uh, group of clients, of, of patients, there needs to be a way to transition this. So HealthLink does that. So these are just innovative ways that we need to um, to implement and, and ideas we need to implement to care for patients. And it's not just one thing. And it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier. Is it, you know, some of these philosophical things that get in the way and views that get in the way? Yeah, that will help if we can put the patient first, not ideology first. But then it's not just one thing that will solve the problem. And it's not even just money that will solve the problem. Is money today, yeah, it will help, but it's finding people to be able to care for others. So we we need to bring innovation. We need to bring technology to help us. There's diagnostic tools that we use that we're testing now at MetaV. You look in your camera for uh, 30 seconds and it will give you over 100 health data points and this is a partnership that we have with a canadian company that have developed this technology and it's under uh, right now it's it's under um, a process for approval by the fda and, and a canadian agency but it's amazing it can tell you if you have cholesterol by uh, by looking at, at the camera so you it, know it, it's almost like a star a star trek type of technology but that exists today and that type of innovation will be required to meet the growing demand for for care
0: we have so many questions that we need to ask you bernard but we're running out of time and uh you've given us uh, a great overview of the work that you're doing um you've talked about some things already that we wanted to ask you obviously uh recruitment issues is uh with an aging workforce uh, you've you're, you're doing some things that are unique like going to australia and i i guess uh using the immigrants coming in as well um, but I, I guess what we really wanted to get your opinion about where we are in Atlantic Canada. There's been a lot of population growth, of course, putting some stresses on, on some things. Uh, but like, you know, as, in terms of your view as a former premier of the province and as a CEO of one of the major private sector companies, what are your thoughts about the direction of uh, your own province, first of all, and, and the region overall? What, what do you feel is going on here?
2: I'm an, I, I'm an optimist by nature um, and I, I think we're uh, first of all we're lucky to live in Canada and we're lucky to live in Atlantic Canada I I chose and I to be here you know I, I could work anywhere I've had offers to work in other parts of Canada to work in the US to work in the UK and I want to live here and, and I, I look at some of the historical challenges that we've faced but some We've, we've brought solutions and we're moving the dial in the right direction. It doesn't mean that we're not facing challenges, but frankly, when I look at the challenges that we're facing today in Atlantic Canada, compared to the challenges that our parents or grandparents faced, uh, in Atlantic Canada, we should be thankful to have the challenges we have now. And there's, there's, there will always be some economic challenges. The economic transition never ends. We always need to continue to adapt to a changing world and an evolving world. And we can do that in Atlantic, and we've demonstrated that before. There's, we've had some dependencies at time on certain industries that have had some ups and some major downs, and we've had to adapt to that. And that created some, some scars in, in some communities and some difficulties. But we've, we've learned from this. And when I look at where we are compared to where we were 20 years ago or where we were 40 years ago, we're, we are on the right path, but we can't take things for granted. And that's true for Atlantic Canada as it is for Canada. We are living in a very volatile world. We can see what's happening just currently around the world with the conflicts in, in Europe, the conflicts in Israel. Those things could spill over, the, the potential conflicts China and Taiwan, there's frictions in different parts of the world, while at the same time, the level of poverty around the world keeps going down. The lifespan of individuals are going up. As I mentioned earlier, we need to work on health span as well. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but we have to be careful with our optimism that we're, we don't neglect the real challenges that are in front of us. And if there's anything that concerns me at times is Canada has been a, a wealthy country almost since our inception, you know, for the last 150 years but it's not automatic. We've been blessed with tremendous resources, with um, diversity that we've brought into this this country and immigrants that continue to want to come here. These are great building blocks to establish a foundation for future growth and prosperity in Canada, but they're not automatic. And as long as we realize they're not automatic and we are willing to make the the choices, to continue to build for future generations. I'm convinced that we can. We can do it across the country, and we can certainly do it here in Atlantic Canada.
1: So that's a fairly tantalizing comment because we'd love to unpack that and get your ideas on things like mining and other sectors and oil and gas, but we won't. Uh, We'll we'll end it (laughs) here. (laughs) We're already at the hour. The hour just flew by. We thank you so much, Bernard, for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. I think this will be very eye-opening for a lot of our listeners. We appreciate you taking an hour of your time. We wish you all the best as you help innovate healthcare in this region and across the country. And you sound very jazzed about this. And so we really appreciate you coming on uh, and sharing with our audience.
2: Well, David, thank you, Don. Thank you very much. And I appreciate what you do with your podcast. I think it's it's great to have Atlantic Canadians talking about what's happening in Atlantic Canada and to have these important conversations uh, to help us move forward, whether it's in healthcare or education or the economy or just some of these societal challenges that we face. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for having me.
0: Thanks thanks for joining us. All right.
2: Stay in touch. listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.